It's when teams own their own feedback and own their response to it and feel responsible for doing something with the feedback. That's when you get the culture shift and that's when you get the service improvements. Hello, welcome to the BMJ podcast. Getting feedback from people who use NHS services is essential to assess their value and of course to improve their quality. Currently, there are a range of ways that patients and their families can provide feedback, including the friends and family test. Though it has to be said, it's not clear if and how this information is systematically analysed and then used. Hospitals and general practices, of course, widely post information on their websites about patient satisfaction with their services. But this is a rather TripAdvisor approach, which is very limited and tells us little about how feedback really changes things on the ground. I'm Tessa Richards, Senior Editor for Patient Partnership at the BMJ, and today I'm talking with James Munro, CEO of Care Opinion. This is an innovative online initiative started about 12 years ago, initially called Patient Opinion and more recently changed to Care Opinion. And this is an organisation that is seeking to join up the dots. And it gives people not only the opportunity to post and share comments online about their experience of care, good and bad, but to follow the response the trust makes to it. We thought, you know, if we if we got everybody online and connected them, connected them all up, we'd we'd solve sort of millions of the world's problems. And of course, as we know, it's a bit more complicated than that. But at the time, we thought, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if if we could use this new medium, really, of the social web, if you like, uh, to share people's experiences of care? Typically, we only heard about them before that through things like annual surveys of what used to be called patient satisfaction. Uh, So it was a very sort of, you know, slow, ponderous, consumerist kind of a model. We just got excited about the idea of, well, what if people could just tell their own stories? You know, something interesting will happen. And actually, as you say, we've been going now, you know, uh, over 12 years. and, And that period has been a period of learning about what does happen when we make it safe and easy for people to share their experiences online. Can you just take me back a little bit to say we? Can you explain who who we were? Where did did this sort of the passion and the idea originally come from? Yes, our founder is uh, Paul Hodgkin. He was a GP in Sheffield and I've known him for years. We used to go for you know, a pint in the pub and chat about, you know, what would happen if the NHS was more like Amazon, for example, or what would happen if the if the NHS was more like Twitter or, you know, those sorts of slightly outlandish discussions. And, and it came from, from that, really, from those sorts of discussions. We're just a small group of people running a community interest company um, uh, with, a, with a social mission. Uh, and we sustain ourselves. People always ask, well, you know, how do you how do you survive? Where does the money come from? And we sustain ourselves through a business model which um, encourages uh, health service providers and commissioners in the UK to um, subscribe to the service and they get various benefits from subscribing. And that has kept us going uh, for, us, for, the, for the last 12 or 13 years. So how many trusts 
are now using um, your platform to get um, feedback, information from patients well, and carers? Well, in the UK, um, we're, most of the activity is in England and Scotland. In Scotland, we have a, a national contract with NHS Scotland, uh, which covers all of the health boards in Scotland. So I think that's uh, something like 24 territorial health boards uh, in Scotland. In England, um, uh, about uh, 90% of trusts, of NHS trusts, use care opinion at some level. We have what we call a freemium model, which means that uh, providers can use the service without paying us. And the reason we do that is because uh, we have a social impact goal, which is to enable people's voices to be heard and responded to. And of course, if we insisted on charging people before they could respond, then people wouldn't respond. So it's important to us um, that people who post their stories on Care Opinion get a response. And therefore, we make it free for providers to have a basic service which allows them to come online, receive email alerts and respond to stories. But taking the patient's point of view, if I go into hospital for outpatients or I have an operation, how would I know that this service exists? And if I had worked up a head of steam because I felt that, you know, my loved one had not been cared for properly, I might be, if I'd heard about it, I might write something that was quite sort of explosive or potentially defamatory. How do you, um, in the heat of the moment, how do you make people aware that this is an avenue to post stories and then how do you moderate those stories and uh, I believe you you know you post anonymously I'm just thinking how it how it actually works how does it work yeah well the the you've identified two big challenges I mean the first challenge is how do you let people know um, we rely very much on the providers we work with to let people know and of course it depends very much on the service context what's going to work so, for example, we work with a number of mental health trusts, um, and in some of them, people are in secure uh, mental health wards. Actually, in two of them, they're in high secure mental health hospitals. Um, so those people need to have access, you know, in a way that would be very different from access, for example, in a sexual health clinic or uh, in a maternity postnatal ward. So, uh, it, in secure mental health settings, for example. Uh, staff will often go around with an iPad and help people to post their story online directly like that or they might use volunteers to help uh, in in a sexual health service they often hand out you know a small uh, credit card with the details of, of the care opinion website to people coming through the service uh, in terms of moderation again it's a it's a challenging one uh, we we read every story before we publish uh, we don't want to publish things that could cause harm either to patients or to staff so the sorts of uh, things we have to be thoughtful about are obviously things like whistleblowing uh, safeguarding issues uh, people with suicidal thoughts for example um, and obviously defaming members of staff so we'll publish uh, a story with a staff member's name in it if they're being praised but we'll remove the name if they're being criticised because we, we can't be defaming members of staff. The, at the heart of moderation is the idea that um, we need to create a system that people can trust. So patients and staff need to feel that this is safe, it's, it's uh, trustworthy, um, you know, they're not going to get in, into difficulties when they use it. 
Um, so we moderate everything, and um, you know that that can be a bottleneck sometimes. And obviously, that's one of the parts of this that may not scale very well because you know when we think about these sort of technological solutions, we think about you know scaling them across the country, very low cost. It's all online, marvelous. You know we can have millions of people using them. But of course, when it comes to moderation, it is that there is a human cost. Yes, I would have thought moderation is is quite a skilled job. It's a sensitive. Uh, it is, and it job. and it takes some thought and experience. Uh, Who does uh, that for you? Then? We we do it we do it in house. Mm. Uh, different members of the team uh, take it on. So we have a rotor, and um, the the task of moderators goes beyond simply reading the story. At, at Care Opinion, your story might be about a number of different services. So, for example, you might tell a story which covers uh, the, the paramedics who collected you from the roadside, the emergency department where you were treated, and then the, the trauma ward and perhaps even uh, convalescence. And we'll, we'll aim to link that story to all the relevant services that it's about. And, of course, that's a skilled task as well. Um, uh, we we try to handle some of that in the software to make it easy for authors to do that for themselves, uh, but moderators also have to sort of add their own knowledge to that to make sure the stories get to the right place. And we also uh, add tags to make the story findable so that it's we uh, we can uh, search for it. Uh, we can say what was positive and negative in the story. We assign a criticality score. So there's a whole range of things that moderators do. But, of course, it's in adding that additional data around the story that they're creating value for then for the people who then go on to use the story. I imagine that some of the posts that you see are quite specific about how a patient or has been treated by a particular health professional and maybe highly critical, whereas it, it may be hard for then the trust to respond or an individual might potentially be held very culpable for giving less than good care, whereas in fact they may be stretched beyond belief, they may have a clinical load that is unreasonable. So it, in effect, it is a system failure rather than a necessarily a personal failure that's resulted in that poor episode of care. So how how do you deal with that sort of uh, situation? And is there a concern that individuals might be held unfairly accountable for something which is a really a system failure? Yes. Um we do sometimes see see posts like that. Usually, not, you know, highly serious uh, things. There might be things like uh, delays in clinics running, or you know, uh, waiting times or operations getting postponed. Uh, sometimes they might be more more personal about a member of staff. Um, as I say, we don't name the member of staff in that context, so it's unlikely that a particular member of staff would be directly blamed. But it does give the the provider organisation an opportunity to think, well, what is going on here? What's the cause of this? And then how they respond, of course, will be up to them. Some organisations will take what you might call a more punitive view. So they'll say, well, you know, that, that member of staff, you know, is clearly at fault and we need to, you know, uh, do something with them. We need to um, find out who it was and, uh, you know, give them guidance or discipline or whatever it might be. Other organisations will sometimes come online and say, well, look, you know, we're really sorry about this, but it was a, a system problem. It's a problem either, at, you know, it might be at a very local level. It's a problem with 
staffing this service. It's a problem with uh, funding this service. It's you know we've lost a lot of people recently, or everybody was on holiday, or whatever it might be. Those sorts of things. Uh, other organisations are very reticent to share things like that, so they'll they'll sort of clam up a bit. So just because we're doing this online and there are the opportunities for greater transparency doesn't mean everybody's necessarily yet ready to take them take those opportunities and of course you know people will make their own judgments sometimes we see very very open non-defensive responses saying you know we're really sorry about this uh there is a problem with how we're organizing this service and we're you know we want to fix it um other times there is that sense of you know, something went wrong, but we're not going to tell you what. I suppose trusts take a very individual approach as to who deals with these stories, whether mm. they it's lead clinicians or whether they have a dedicated complaints and compliments mm. officer, and that whoever the staff are that are involved in fielding and responding to these stories must to some extent determine the quality of the response, I imagine. They definitely do, and that's why we're so keen that... Um, that responding is spread through an organisation because what we've learned is that the quality of responding that comes from people who are close to the front line of the service is often much higher, much less defensive, much more constructive and specific. So the responses that people post, you know, for example, the senior clinician or the service manager uh, in a service, that, that, that may be a very particular and specific response. It can say, well, look, we're sorry this has happened. Here's what we're going to do. Um, you know, here are our plans for improvement and, uh, you know, we hope this doesn't happen again, but if it does, please let us know. That can be that can be an incredibly helpful response, both for the author, but also for the staff, I think, as, as part, you know, seeing that modelled within their service. When you try and centralise the responding into one or two people in the organisation whose job it is to respond to everything, you can get often very generic responses, sometimes literally the same response, to everything because that one person or those few people are a sort of bottleneck overwhelmed with things that they need to respond to and of course they don't necessarily have the knowledge or the authority to make changes but you then advise the trust when you set up the system or when they come to you so you want to use this platform as to how to work with it most productively because that seems a really crucial point that that you these stories get as close to the front line where they were yes. generated yes. in the first place yes and it's taken a long time when when we first started you know this was the internet was viewed as an extension of the sort of traditional media in a way you know people thought oh the internet that's like a newspaper the the uh, the trust policy is to have as little to do with it as possible and if we have to comment we will but only if you know we're forced to that was sort of definitely the attitude in 2005 i think now people are understanding that actually this isn't like a newspaper at all this is much more like a community of people talking to one another social media has taught us that i think and and so uh, in some organisations now, we have literally hundreds of people who are empowered to respond to stories about their own area of care. And, um, and I think increasingly organisations are understanding that actually perhaps that's the way that this does create change. It's when, it's when teams own their own feedback and own their response to it and feel responsible for doing something with the feedback. That's when you get the culture shift and that's when you get the service improvements. If feedback is seen as something that's owned at the top of the organisation and not really anything to do with me and my service, then of course it won't create much impact. Absolutely. I must say, I've, I've been to the site and what I think is very attractive about it is that you can 
not just post your story, but you can see whether anyone has responded to the story within the trust. And you also get a bit of a feel for positive versus negative stories. And do you, at scale, do you know that? How many people are posting, um, well, thanks, or uh, as opposed to being highly critical about the care they receive? Yes, we do. We, we, um, so we have a number of ways of detecting that. So for example, we've, uh, we've always shown the top tags that people use um, for years. And the top th- tag that people use has always been thank you. And it's been like that for years. It never changes. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, that's, the, that's the commonest <laughs> yes. thing. And yes. then, you know, other, mm. other tags include things like amazed and, um, you know, cared for. And, and reassured and then there are occasional tags that come up in the in the sort of top tags uh, from from time to time like you know let down or disappointed so it's not all positive in terms of um, the overall sort of proportion uh, the the data that we have suggests that about 50 to 55 percent of stories are entirely positive don't contain any critical element whatsoever about a third of, of stories have a mixture of positive and negative so they'll have some critical elements some things that could have been better and about a sixth of stories are, are seriously critical of, of care so it's not as perhaps as negative as people think it may not reflect you know what we know from surveys because in surveys obviously you'll you'll often get results like 90 95 percent of people happy with their care um but one of the one of the things I think that people are sort of starting to realise now, and there's research to support this, um, is that sometimes the ratings or the quantitative data that people collect about the quality of care don't reflect the actual experiences that people have very well. So people will quite often rate their care as good or very good. They'll sometimes give individual uh, members of staff the highest rating. But actually, when they give comments, they'll highlight a, a range of things where those people could have improved their care. They don't always come out in the quantitative data. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I think, I think uh, we shouldn't be surprised if stories paint a more mixed picture sometimes than the quantitative satisfaction or experience data that we're collecting. Because I think people sometimes are reticent in hard ratings to sort of reflect, sure. you know, some, their, their ambivalence about certain aspects of care. That's all for this podcast. But if you're interested in hearing more from people who are making partnership between health professionals and patients who work in the real world, um, do listen to Catherine Cowan's recent podcast, and we'll be having more of these in the near future. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on that. I'm Tessa Richards. Senior Editor for Patient Partnership. Thanks for listening.